episode 92 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Stephen Kohler. I fly uh, beavers and turbine otters on floats for Kenmore Air in the summertime and in the wintertime. I uh, winter down in Northern California doing uh, playing with warbirds and old airplanes. What is going on, AV Nation? And welcome back to episode number 92 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. In today's episode, I'm sitting down and talking with Stephen Kohler, who currently flies for Kenmore Air. He's flying twin otters and beavers up there and quite possibly has one of the cooler jobs in aviation. I've always been just in love with Kenmore Air and the type of flying they do up in Seattle, up in the Pacific Northwest. So I was really excited to finally talk with him and to finally get to know about what it's like to be a Kenmore Air pilot. He also does some other cool flying with uh, with Warbirds. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. It's one that's a little bit different than what I normally do, where it's an airline pilot and someone who wants to make as much money as possible in the industry. Stephen is mainly looking for just the most fun that he can have in aviation. And it was just great talking with him. It was great hearing that perspective because a lot of times in aviation, we get lost and we start going after the money. We start trying to get the job that pays us the most and not worried about the kind of flying we're doing and how much fun we're actually having. So Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot. I want to give a special shout out to the Patreon of the week, Robert Wright. Thank you for being the Patreon of the week. If you would like to be the Patreon of the week and receive some cool swag, head to our Patreon page and also check out our Instagram page at pilot the pilot. Aviation, I don't want to keep you much longer. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. So without any further ado, here's Steven. Steven, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, not much, Justin. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving me a call. No problem. I'm glad I worked out. Uh, I've always wanted to talk to a Kenmore pilot. It's always kind of been an idea of mine to possibly fly for them and build my time there. Obviously, my, my route went somewhere else and I did other ways, but it just seemed like so much fun flying seaplanes up there. Uh, you know, it really is a good time. Uh, it's the only 135 gig I've ever had, but uh, it, it sure is a good one. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, um, kind of getting to do different things every day, different places. I bet. Well, let's uh, let's start back with uh, where you came from, how you started, and why you got into aviation. What was the original inspiration for you to even get involved with aviation to start out with? Uh, there were probably there were quite a few small little things that kind of nudged me in that direction. Um, but the, the most significant was probably when I was 10 years old. Um, I have an uncle who's a pilot. My parents don't fly, but I have one uncle who's a pilot and, um, he never worked professionally as a pilot other than as a CFI kind of on the side as a side hustle. But he, um, when I was like 10, he invited me to come right along with him. Uh, he was working on his CFI at the time and a buddy of his was working on his private at the time. And, um, he told me, he said, yeah, you can come along, but uh, man, we're going to be doing steep turns and stalls and you're going to have to sit in the back and, you know, it may not be super fun. I said, you know, didn't stop me. I was in. And uh, so we're, I remember we we're driving out to the airport and uh, his buddy calls. Uh, he picked me up, you know, we're driving together. His buddy called him and had to flake at the last minute. And I just kind of looked at him with those like puppy dog eyes. Like, we're not, we're not going to cancel, right? We're still going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And and it Please. worked. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. Uh, and I got to sit, he actually put me in the left seat. And uh I think he, he he's kind of a uh a practical joker kind of guy a little bit. And I think he truthfully tried to scare me and he was trying to do steep turns and stalls and 
uh, man, I, I just couldn't stop laughing. I was having a good time. He let me fly a little bit. What was yeah. so what was the overall experience like? Uh, were you hooked right away? Do you know this is what you want to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, it was a done deal after that. There'd always there's always kind of been some interest prior to that. You know, I watched Top Gun when I was like seven. I don't know. I don't know how that was as a parental decision. Uh, they need a, they need to have like a, some kind of statistic or or stat that can show how many people guys and girls wanted to be a pilot because of Top Gun. Like I, <laughs> I feel like it'd be a pretty big number. You know, I think more people. Uh, it's it was a root cause of more people being a pilot than people are willing to admit. But I think it certainly is. You're not the only um, one that's come on here and said, "Oh, I watched Top Gun and I wanted to be a pilot." Like, yeah. oh, <laughs> good for Top Gun. Good job, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, you know, it, it worked. It, it it's worked done well for me. So, well, cool. So, what was uh, what was kind of the next step? Well, so obviously you um, do this one flight and you realize you love aviation, but now there's this whole thing of well, do I want to do this for a career? Do I want to do this for fun? How did you kind of differ- differentiate your choices in aviation and what you could do? Yeah, so I I was I did the normal stuff of uh, you know trying to go to the airport, and trying to go to air shows, and doing all that stuff. Just trying to do everything I could as a kid whose parents were not involved in aviation, and I didn't know the the gate code to any airports around 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 the area there in Sacramento where I grew up. Um, so I didn't really have much of an outlet for any of that, um, really until I got my driver's license. You know, my uncle would, he continued to take me up flying, you know, maybe we go once a year or something. Um, other than that, and once I got my driver's license, I played football in high school and so nice. I stayed pretty busy. Yeah. I didn't do anything like you did, but I, I stayed <laughs> I pretty busy with it. <laughs> I didn't do much either. So don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, well, at least you had one of those jobs where you got to think I was just a hitter. That's funny. Not, hey, not nothing wrong with that one, though. So. <laughs> you got to deliver the pain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least that was the goal. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Or I tried to. You're right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got my driver's license and, uh, after football season, I did my senior year of high school. I, uh, I, I needed something to do. I had a summer job, you know, that I kind of kept going through the school year and, uh, needed something to do, um, on the weekends and, you know, and so I've started going out to the airport and hanging out. Um, there was an air show that started in Sacramento around that time. Uh, this was, would have been 2008 and I, there was an ad in the paper and they needed volunteers. So I volunteered for the air show. Uh, they ended up, I'm a, I'm like six, three. And like I said, I was playing football. So they're like, Oh, you'd be a good guy for gate security. And I was like, yeah, I don't really, really want, I don't to, want do, to do gate security. <laughs> I don't want to do gate security. <laughs> so, uh, all I started doing, I just started showing up, showing up to all the meetings and, um, I lived near the airport where the air show was, you know, I could ride my bike there if I really needed to, but, uh, I just started showing up, you know, I started hearing airplanes coming in, you know, a week prior to the air show. And I just started showing up out there and getting to know people. And by then it was pretty well cemented that, that this is what I was going to do. And I was, I was just hungry for it I, everywhere I could get it. That, that's what I did. Um, did those connections you made with volunteering come back and help you further in your career? A hundred percent. Yeah, because I always try to, I don't know how long you've been listening or what you listen to, but I always try to preach about the connections that you make and how you can create mentors and how you can, these people will be able to help you in your career. So it's really, it's great to hear that that actually did help you. Um, my first job out of college. So I, I went to Seattle University. Um, we can talk about that in a minute. It's kind of how I got, but at least got through much of my private. Um, but uh, my first job out of college was because of the people I met volunteering at that air show and i still have that job it's my winter job i've been there for eight years almost and um 
so I, I got out of high school. I, uh, I wanted to be a pilot and, um, what I had heard about, I, I've always kind of liked the Northwest. So I, uh, went and visited Seattle university when I was in high school and decided that's where I wanted to go. Um, I thought about Embry riddle and, and, uh, San Jose state was kind of nearby and they had an aviation program, but it, it was all really expensive to, to learn to fly in college. And that was way out of my budget or my parents' budget. Um, and I kind of wanted that normal college experience that everybody gets. Um, I didn't want it to be, you know, within the, the aviation thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I didn't want to live being surrounded wanna... by aviation is good, but there's also some, some good stuff to be around people that don't like aviation too. Exactly. And I, I think socially I, I probably, um, thrived a little more, uh, because of, uh, me being into aviation was just kind of like a thing. It wasn't like the same thing that everybody else was doing, which was kind of unique. And I, and I also got to see the world outside of aviation, which is a, is a valuable perspective. Um, it's not for everybody, but it is, I think a valuable perspective. So, um, I figured I was going to Seattle. My, uh, my high school physics teacher actually was an SR 71 pilot. What? Um, that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah. He, he retired from the air force and decided to teach high school physics and he kind of helped <laughs> guide me. Yeah. He kind of helped guide me into, you know, a good deal and I was good at physics and good at math. So, I decided I want to get a mechanical engineering degree because most of the mechanical engineering graduates at Seattle U got jobs at Boeing and that's all fine and dandy. But the, the cherry on top was that at that time, Boeing had a flying club and they were paying for, they were subsidizing like 75% of flight training costs for all your ratings. If you were an engineer Wait, for them, for real, they did. Dang. So yeah. So I start, I went, went away to school. Um, and then I had to take calculus and that did not go well. <laughs> uh, I was always You're a brave like, man for trying it. I didn't even try calculus. I was like, Nope, I'm good. Uh, I think so. <laughs> I, well, I think I walked in there pretty, pretty cocky about it because I, I had never studied for a math test in my whole life and just got A's and, and I get into calculus and it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, it, it, I wish I could say that it was just your normal. Oh yeah. You know, I got out of my parents' house and went crazy and my grades suffered. But I, I actually really did everything I could do to do well in calculus. And, and so I took Calc 1 my, my fall quarter and got, a, I think, a D minus. I took it again the second quarter and got a solid C, which I was pretty proud of. And I worked really hard to get it. And, uh, and then moved on to Calc 2 and got up. I, I think I finished the course with like 45%. And I was, I had tutors. I had, uh, you know, uh, extra office hours with the, with the professor. I, I mean, I was doing everything I could. It just was not working out. What was it uh, that wasn't working out? Just couldn't, just for some reason, just you on the math, just wouldn't click? Yeah, it's just too theoretical, I think, for me. If you taught calculus and, and physics together at the same time, because they go hand in hand, and I could see uh, you know, a real-world application of the calculations you're doing, I think I would have done much better. Um, but just doing it on paper and just picking arbitrary numbers, you know, out of a hat that aren't significant in any way. Uh, I had a real hard time with that. Were your professors Uh, like kind of shocked at how hard you were working for it and still didn't get it? Or were they like, this is normal. This is okay. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think math professors are kind of a different breed. They're all borderline geniuses. (laughs) They're like, well, why can't you do this? This isn't hard. You should should be able to do this. I can do it. It's not hard. And I was like, well, (laughs) slow down here, buddy. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 
so anyway, um, I, and I had, I was talking to my dad throughout all this and he knew I was working hard and wasn't screwing off too bad. And, um, so we came up with a deal. I came home from school that, that summer and, uh, I told him, you know, man, I, I really want to learn to fly. This is what I want to do. And, you know, I got this plan you know, with Boeing and with flight mechanical engineering. Um, but I don't, this may not work out, man. Like I, I'd like to start on this path before and, and just kind of hit the ground running when I graduate. And, uh, he didn't, neither of my parents had the money to, to put me through flight school. They knew, they didn't know much about learning to fly, but they knew what it costs and, and which is a giant red flag. But my dad, you know, my dad was, was willing to, he said, Hey, you know, I, I can't pay for this. I, I can't afford, I don't have, at that time it was, they're saying it was like seven or $8,000 to get a rating, a private. And, uh, he's like, I don't have that. He's but I'll get you through the first few hours and I'll get you to solo. Um, so my dad had a friend who was a corporate pilot flying a King air and owned a Mooney and stuff. And, you know, my dad sought his advice on what, you know, he thought was a good milestone for me to reach. And, and my dad's deal was if you get yourself a calculus tutor and you meet with calculus tutor twice a week, all summer long, and you stick with that, you know, he's all pay for you to solo. So, uh, went down to the same flight school where I went with my uncle when he gave me my first airplane ride, you know, that was like nine years earlier and, um, went out, found an instructor. The name was Bjorn. We flew a 172 for a couple hours. I did ergonomically. It doesn't really fit if you're six foot three. Um, so ended up switching to a Cherokee, uh, 160, a warrior, you know, and I felt much more comfortable in that. I ended up soloing after like, seven hours. Oh, see, that's where you messed up. You should be like, Oh dad, it's going to take I, me at least 40 yeah. hours to solo. And then I might as well just take my check ride. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I should have milked it. I should have yeah. milked it, but you know, I just, it, it very quickly became like a drug. Like I, I needed my fix. And, and then I soloed, which is like, you know, it's, it's a big deal. You, you know, your, my parents took me out to dinner with my instructor and, and some family, my uncle Pete, who gave me my first airplane ride came out to dinner and everybody was, you know, it was all, you know, confetti and balloons and whatever. And like, congratulations, a big deal. You only cut the back of your t-shirt out. And then my dad was like, okay, well, uh, good luck. Yeah. I'm done. (laughs) What are you doing next? (laughs) And and I, of course, didn't have any money. I had a summer job, but you know, they hardly paid for the gas I needed to get to and from the airport. So, uh, came back up to school and just, um, started doing everything I could on the side. Um, to, to stay current as best I can. I did a lot of chair flying in my dorm room um, and stuff like that while I was trying to study calculus. Um, and, and then probably the best thing that could have happened happened. And that was that Boeing went on strike that fall quarter. It was all over the newspapers here in Seattle. So um, one of the, the ways they settled that strike was that they got rid of that program where they were subsidizing the flight training costs for all their engineers. And I was like, okay, well, uh, bye. Yeah. So I remember walking into my advisor's office and you, you might not like what I'm about to say, but, uh, I walked into my advisor's office and, and said, Hey, uh, this whole deal isn't going to work for me. I wanted to get this program that I just got rid of. And, and, uh, he looks at me and goes, well, well what do you want to do? I said, I want to fly airplanes. He says, well, we don't do that here. I said, yeah, but I kind of need a four year degree and I'm already got you know, four, four terms in. And if I don't get a degree at this point, my parents will kill me. 
So I got to do something. And he's like, uh, well, you know, you got a kind of a random selection of credits, lots of math and science stuff. I said, well, what can I switch to that's, that all that credits are going to count to something? And he says, well, here's a list of things you might work. Take it home. Look over it. So I took it home. And I thought, you know, history is cool. So I started looking at the history course list. And it was like, uh, you know, 16th century Mongolian agriculture. And I didn't really care about that. I wasn't going to work any better than calculus was. So. <laughs> So I walked in there the next day and said, uh, hey, you know, Father Catholic school, right? So Father Raj is the name of my, my counselor. And I said, Father Raj, man, this stuff just isn't doing it for me. And he says, well, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. You got to pick something. And I said, well, what are the athletes doing? What do the athletes <laughs> major in? Because if those guys have oh, time for, for their, you know, their athletics and their practices and games and everything else, then maybe I'll have time to learn to fly on the side. And, and that actually a communications degree. Uh, he, he, he advised me communications or liberal studies. And it just so happened that liberal studies allow, uh, I got more credits for the classes I had already taken. If I went the liberal studies route. Yeah. I think at Ohio state, I think it was uh, strategic communications. So it's like a step below the business school, what a lot of people would do, or yeah. it would be African-American studies yeah. was the second one that most people would do. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, everybody kind of painted me as a slacker, which you know, it's not entirely untrue, but, but at the same time I, I worked, you know, I found a job my sophomore year of, of college, um, started putting away money. And I remember, I remember I was so proud of myself. I'd save up like $400 by fall quarter of my, of my sophomore year, which is like, that's a lot of money. And I was living in the dorms and everything. And I came home for Christmas break and spent in the day, went to the airport and put it all on, on one airplane. I said, how many hours do I get with this? And they're like, uh, you get like 2.4 on the Hobbs. I said, okay. I'll be back <laughs> in 2.4 hours. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And off we went and, and bank account went to zero and I was like, well, I guess I gotta go back to school and make some more money. And it, it continued that way. Um, my dad had had, uh, my, I don't mean to dwell on my private, but I had a fair number of ups and downs. So no, it might be go for it. Yeah. I think a lot of people have ups and downs in their private training and it takes people longer than some. Yeah. Well, it took me three years start to finish. If that makes anybody feel any better. It took me three years as well. Yeah. Uh, three, three summers. And I did some flying, you know, during the school year along the way, but yeah, uh, and I was, and I was not half assing it. I was working hard. Um, but I was just distracted by college. I guess people think that's important. Yeah. Some people, you know, <laughs> depends on who you talk to, but yeah, college yeah. is important. <laughs> yeah. Well, my parents thought so. So yeah. Well, if major airlines want college, so if you want to be yeah. a major airline pilot, it's still important to them, but we don't know yeah. how long that's going to be. Boy, I wonder, you know, it, it seems like, it seems like the standards are, are shrinking all the time, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I went back to school um, and I, I had this, my dad had made me put every dollar I got from my grandparents for my whole life, like for, graduation and birthday and Christmas, whatever, he made me put it all into a savings account. And he told me when I was a kid, you know, one day you're going to really want to use this money for something valuable. And, uh, so I convinced my dad that summer, uh, if the, if the following my second summer there that I, I should use it for my private. And I had saved up some of my own money too. And I changed my major, you know, my GPA went way back up since I got out of the calculus world. <laughs> and, uh, Smart move. So, yeah. Yeah. So he said, yeah, okay. So he, you know, wasn't going to cost him anything. He thought it was a valuable 
uh, worthwhile use of that money. So uh, that's what I did. I he went to the bank and pulled it out for me and gave me like twenty five hundred dollars in cash, which again was a lot of money for a college student, uh, more money than I'd ever had in one place at one time. That's for sure. And uh, I had probably six or seven hundred dollars of my own money that I'd saved up throughout the school year. And uh, I just <laughs> my first instructor uh, went away to the airlines. He got a job at SkyWest, so he was gone. So found a new instructor. Uh, the airplane I'd soloed was still at that same flight school. So I um, knew instructor Marco and I, we, we just started flying again, picked up right where we left off and banged out all the cross country stuff, all the solo stuff, did my long cross country, got my written done, um, just just hammered on all that stuff uh, as best I could. And, it's, and it was the same thing. You know, eventually I spent my last dollar. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, like the worst case of, you know, didn't get all the way there. Didn't get as much done as I wanted to do than, than you could think. But uh, so anyway, went back up to school, uh, found two more jobs. Most of my junior year, I went, actually worked three jobs. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Being a full-time student. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually running 17 or 18 credits because I was making up for some extra credits that didn't count when I was retaking calculus all those times. So I was still kind of behind as a student trying to catch up. Cause my, you know, my financial aid money is only good for four years and I don't have any money outside of that. I, I wouldn't have been able to go to school at all if it weren't for all that financial aid, let alone get a pilot's license. So, um, you know, saved up some money, ended up staying in Seattle, uh, that, that third summer, um, and didn't, I, I kind of broke even just living in Seattle cause I moved out of the dorms and now I had all these new expenses and I brought my car up here. So now I could afford to drive to and from the airport. I had a means to do that, but I didn't have any money for gas. So it was kind of a wash and I was kind of stuck. And, you know, my birthday or Christmas, you know, my parents would give me some money and I spend it at the airport or whatever. Um, but what I, what I did do that junior year was spent a lot of time that summer, uh, all my free time, I was applying for scholarships to learn to fly. Um, I, I mean, every AOPA had a bunch, EAA had a bunch. Uh, I applied to scholarships for women in aviation. Cause they said that they were open to men. You're like, all right, I'll test <laughs> like, this. Yeah. What the hell? Let me know. Did you yeah. win any? No, not from that. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Alaska airlines had a scholarship that I applied for. Uh, and I ended up actually winning, uh, one scholarship, uh, that actually ended up being 3,500 bucks. It was an essay contest. And I uh, wrote this essay about, um, so when I was a kid, one of the other experiences I had with aviation was my same uncle took me and my dad and mom and my grandpa and a bunch of people to an air show in Northern California. I was think I was like four years old. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I remember just being, I didn't want to leave. You know, I was, it was like Disneyland for me. Um, I, I did not want to leave. And I remember distinctly watching, I don't know if you know, Julie Clark is, she flies a polished t-34 and smoke on it and one of her big things is she does a big heart in the sky and i remember watching that as a kid going holy crap that's the coolest thing i've ever seen uh i, I thought this was a cartoon this is like tailspin but this is real life uh, and i had no idea that any of that stuff was real and uh anyway years later through people i'd met volunteering at air shows i ended up getting a ride with julie clark and and doing some of her aerobatic routine um and so I wrote this big, long essay about it and ended up winning a scholarship, uh, long story short, for 3500 bucks. 
which was, I mean, that was enough. I, I had probably 30 to 35 hours and I just kind of needed, you know, an, a couple hours of nighttime here, a couple hours under the hood there. Um, you know, maybe a, another cross country or two to refresh. And I was check ride ready or so I thought. And so I thought 3,500 bucks, man, that's, that's going to be enough. So, um, that happened in August. I started, um, started back up at school, went and found the cheapest flight school with the jankiest airplanes I could find in the Seattle area. Where is uh, that? <laughs> in case anyone else to wants say, to know. They don't exist hey. anymore. Oh, okay. uh, it was, it Makes was sense. out of Renton airport. Um, if you spent any time around the Renton airport in, uh, like two, around 2010 to 2012, you probably know who I'm talking about. That's really uh, funny. Sounds like they had a little bit of a reputation. Yeah, they did, but it was cheap and, and my money was going to go furthest there. And, um, so I went out there, told them the whole deal and they said, um, call me the, uh, you know, tell me when you, when you want to, uh, tell he goes give us the the uh scholarship committee people who are in charge of that give us their information we're going to talk to them directly find out how this is going to work so i talk to scholarship people they talk to scholarship people and uh the scholarship people call me and they say okay here's how this is going to work we can only pay for things that are you're working towards your private so if you need an hour of nighttime we're going to pay for an hour of nighttime we're not going to pay for two if you need an hour of of this we're not going to pay for an, you know an extra hour of that I said, okay, well, that's fine. So, so they would, I'd go fly. At the end of the flight, we'd write down on the invoice what we did and what I still needed uh, work on from my, my instructor would write all that. And then I would sign it and then they would mail it to the scholarship people. The scholarship people would mail back a check. That was how it was supposed to work. So, supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So uh, I, I started flying you know, and my goal at this, this is like August. So. School was getting ready to start, and I was I was gonna okay. Let's try and get this done before the fog and the gray comes in Seattle. I don't know if you know that it's it's cloudy in Seattle a lot. Yeah, I did my <laughs> private pilot training in Columbus, Ohio, and it's no Seattle, but it's definitely not the sunniest place in the world. Yeah, it's hard to do a check ride in the middle of winter in Seattle. Um, so uh, I started flying, and check started finishing off checking all these boxes. Got the night done. Got the cross countries. Done, got the solo stuff done, hood work was done, uh, towered airport, all that stuff was done. And I'd probably flown 15 hours with them. So I had probably a 17 or 1800 dollar bill I'd racked up and done the same thing, just signed the invoice, gave it back to them, and then forgot about it. I never heard about it again. Uh so I go in there to fly one day, and this is probably not quite Thanksgiving, early November or something. And I go in there to fly, and my instructor's there, and it's you know, weather's looking pretty good. And, uh, so I walk in there and my instructor's at the front desk. He says, Hey, why don't you go on into the office there? I'll be in in a minute. We got to talk. Okay. Uh Oh, so I'm like, is the airplane broken? Did I do something wrong? You know, what's going on? So he walks in there and he goes, Hey, these, this scholarship, these people have not paid us anything. He says, you know, we're out $1,800 right now. And, and these, you know, they're a small family businesses. We can't, we can't float that for this long. He says, so I can't let you leave here. We're not going to fly today. And I can't let you leave here until you give me one of two things. You can give me a check for $1,800 or you can give me your logbook as collateral. Oh, jeez. Oh and I was God. like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I was like, well, I can write you a check for $1,800. <laughs> you can uh, try to cash it. <laughs> you can try. You can sit on it for however many years it's going to take before I put a balance in my checking account that big. 
might be a while. I said, and I, under no circumstances, am I giving you my logbook? Absolutely not. You're going to put it in a, in a, in a desk drawer and somebody else is going to move it and, and I'll never see it again. Um, so I'm under no circumstances will I surrender my logbook to you. Uh, I'm going to work on getting you your money. I'm not going to stiff you. I'm going to, I'm going to work this out, but I'm not giving you my logbook. Um, so these guys kind of hounded me for a while. I think they thought I was trying to scam them. I think, you know, I gave, I gave a phone number and an email address to the scholarship committee, but they never met them face to face. And I think they might've thought that it was, you know, my buddy, you know, my buddy Joe with, gave him his phone number and he's like, Oh yeah, Steven, he's got a scholarship. I think that's what they thought. And they thought I was just trying to scam them, which I get it. Um, and, uh, so they were starting to get kind of nasty and, and I was starting to get upset with the scholarship people. And, uh, it, it kind of just, it finally started to settle down. And finally I got the scholarship people to admit to me, this is like a month out of this goes by. And the guy goes, yeah, Hey, I gotta be honest with you. We're, we're still trying to raise the money. I was like, you're still trying to raise the money. <laughs> How do you get a scholarship away if you don't have the money? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. So Christmas break comes and I head back to California and I'm trying to sort out what I'm going to do about all this. My, my folks don't have the money. Um, my brother had just started college, so they're, you know, strapped sending him to school. And, um, so I went to the, uh, a, a different chapter of this organization, uh, that was in my hometown where I knew, I, I didn't know a lot of the people, but I, I knew one person. Um, her name was Iris. Uh, I knew her through the air show stuff and she, uh, she invited me to go to the meeting with some of the, the president of this other chapter. And I told them what, it, what had happened. And they were so appalled at the way everything had gone down that they offered to make things right on the other chapter's behalf. Um, which I didn't have to take them up on it cause they just called them and, and put some pressure on them to, to sort this out. Um, if unless this other group didn't want to be publicly chastised for it. Um, I mean, rightfully so though, if you say oh, you got something and you're, you're offering this, you can't kind of get out of it. Like that. that's not how you run a business. That's not how you do things. No, no. And, and I'm all for trying to help people, but you know, even if you just called me and said, Hey, we're still putting the money together. Don't start flying yet. I, yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate cool. it. Yeah. We're let good. me know when you have it. I'll start then. Yeah. And now, you know, it's, it's, Christmas time, Christmas break, whatever. So the weather in Seattle sucks. So I'm not going to get any flying done anytime soon. Um, so I'm just kind of sitting on it. And um, eventually, it takes probably halfway through January or so, the, the scholarship committee pays my outstanding balance. Um, and they tell me, said, okay, you've got this much money left. You know, do, do with it what you will. The flight school was happy now, but it was January in Seattle. Um, and I, it's January in Seattle. I'm sitting in Seattle right now. And it's like half a mile of visibility. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going, I'm not going to do any flying. So I'm just going to save the money for, for when the weather starts turning around and focus on school and my job and whatever else and, uh, get through the year. Uh, so I had an on-campus job of sitting, uh, I sit at, sat at like a help desk, you know, for visitors to campus. I'd give them campus maps and tell them where, wherever they were trying to get, give them directions and stuff. And, um, a friend of mine worked in an office right down the way. Um, and she came over and, uh, she knew I was into airplanes and stuff. And she, she said to me, she said, Hey, uh, did you hear about that plane crash? I said, no. Uh, what are you talking about? She goes, Oh yeah. Three, three fatal. Um, there's a plane crash in Mount Si like, like a week ago. This is like late February now. And, um, 
I said, oh man, no, I didn't know anything about you. He said, yeah, it was in the paper. She was, I'll, I'll go get it. Goes into the office, grabs the newspaper, folds it up, hands it to me, and that was my instructor's picture. Oh. He, yeah, he, he flew uh, 172. It was Valentine's night, Valentine's Day night. And uh, I remember that night. Um, it, was, it was a crystal clear, clear full moon night. And um, he went flying and took a couple of friends of his who'd been out on a Valentine's Day date. Um, and it was like 10 o'clock. He let himself into the flight school. Grabbed a key to one of the airplanes, went and went flying. And I don't know if he went into IMC, but he ended up flying into Mount Sai and all three of them died. Man, that's so sad. It, it was awful. And, you know, it, and for me, I'm trying to learn to fly. I'm trying to convince my parents this is what I want to do. I'm trying to explain to my friends why I spend so much time at the airport and stuff. And none of them are airplane people and they don't get it. You know? They just um, see how much bad luck you're having. They're like, dude, why are you still doing this? <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> You're telling me this and I'm questioning. I'm like, why are you still doing this? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's just indicative of, of how badly you want something. You know, all, all these, these obstacles are just opportunities to prove how badly you want something. And I truly believe that. Building character Cal- and you're building your story. Exactly. You know, calculus was an obstacle for me to prove how badly I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, which was not very badly. So, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really find a way to persevere at that, but, but when it came to flying to me, it was hundred percent worth it. And did you ever uh, think about quitting at all when this was going on? Did you ever at one, like you obviously had a bunch of unfortunate events and had the scholarship people, like what kind of scholarship doesn't pay? I don't know if that's normal or not, but like, I feel like at that point I would have been like, wow, maybe the universe or God doesn't want me to be a pilot. Maybe I should try to do something else. Did you ever think about that? Um, yeah, there there were a couple days where I, I showed up at my friend's house and went immediately to the kitchen and poured myself big drinks, right? I'd get home and, <laughs> pour, you know, make yeah, myself absolutely. like a Jack with, you know, an ounce of Coke in it. And um, <laughs> there was that kind of stuff. And I, it seems like I was, I had enough of else going on at the time that I, I never really thought about it. I never considered quitting, to be honest, at least not consciously. Um, it, it was just not an option for me. Um, but the, the the dust all settled from all of that. I um, I still had seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars, something like that, and I went back to the same flight school and I said, "Hey, everything's cool, right? You know, I know, I know we had this accident, and I know it's it's sad and everything, but we've still got airplanes, you've still got other instructors, right? I really want to finish this up." And they go, "Yep, we're all good. We're going to press forward." I said, "Okay." So I found a new instructor and this guy, his name was Donald. He was a real nice guy, young guy, you know, he's probably only a year older than I was. And, um, he was fresh out of, uh, Washington state, which they have an aviation program there and, uh, or central Washington, I guess. And, uh, he had 300 hours and he was my CFI and I was his very first student and banged out the, the rest of the, the, uh, uh, requirements, got my steep turns polished up, you know, all that stuff ready to go and took a check ride. And, and I, my check ride went so poorly. Uh, I, let me, let me rephrase it. I thought it was going really poorly. He, the guy I, I took the check ride with was a complete jerk. Uh, at, at one point he took my sectional off my lap and threw it in the back. Cause he was mad at me for what I, I don't even remember. I think, I think, uh, I did, I like entered into slow flight. I'd done clearing turns and everything. And he accused me of not looking outside. Okay. Uh, just crazy thing. So, and he was seriously berating me from takeoff to landing. 
and I thought I did so poorly. But really, in hindsight, now knowing what I know now, I think I'm sure I was well within you know the standards for all my maneuvers and everything. Uh, I think he was just putting the pressure on, and and he certainly did. Um, we pulled into the <laughs> yeah. mission we, successful, dude. Jeez, uh, we pulled into the chocks. And he asked me, and he had told me before we went flying, he says, if I haven't told you to go back to the airport yet, it means you haven't failed yet. So if you're still flying, if you're still going, just keep going. Then no matter what I say, which I should have taken that advice a little bit, a little more seriously, but. Yeah, but that's uh, hard though. When you're in the situation, like you, you just continue to get down on yourself over and over again. When you do one thing, you think that it would merit a failure, then that can kind of screw up your whole check ride. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and especially when the guy's yelling at you. <laughs> Um, but we, we pulled into the chocks and he said, how do you think you did? I said, I have no idea. I just wanted to get out of the airplane. I, wanted to <laughs> I just want to get away guy. from you. Yeah. I, like, I'm like, I can't believe I gave you 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. To <laughs> yell at me the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And, and he says, well, congratulations. You just got your private houses. I said, are you shitting me? <laughs> You're like, please sign this. And I never want to see you again. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's, yeah, that's how that went. And, um, so I, I had my private and I got my private, uh, like three weeks after I graduated from college, um, which was pretty cool. And I remember graduating from college and then graduating and getting, getting my private and how much of a bigger deal getting my private felt to me. Um, it, it was pretty awesome. Um, two days after I got my private, I loaded up my Jeep and drove back down to California and, um, <clears throat> put all my stuff at my folks house and some of the people I had met along the way. Uh, was the Collings Foundation. They fly a B-17, a B-24, a B-25, and Mustang, all that stuff. And, and uh, so I had made some contacts there. I'd even spent some time on the road with them uh, and uh, called them up and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm free and I'm looking for something to do. They said, yeah, come on out. So I spent five months on tour with them, um, drinking my way across the Midwest. <laughs> I was going to say, what all did you do, what all <laughs> yeah. you do for them? Uh, I, I was technically a flight engineer. But um, it's not a re- it is a required crew position, but you don't have to be an actual flight engineer. You're kind of just like a third guy in the cockpit. To you can't pump the gear down from the seats of the bombers. Make sure um, the throttles are all the way forward on takeoff. Yeah, set the friction lock and just just an extra set of eyes, really. Um, and and when there's passengers on board and you're giving rides, you're kind of a babysitter. Gotcha. Um, He's gonna throw up. Take him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. And basically just, I'm, you know, interface with the passengers so that the pilots don't have to while they're flying. Gotcha. Makes uh, sense. So, yeah. So I, I traveled around with them for five or six months and I had a ton of fun, but it's, it, it is a good time. If you ever get the opportunity to go out and see those guys, I recommend it. Uh, but it's, it's 10 hours a day, seven days a week and, and you don't get paid for it. You know, they cover a hotel room and stuff for you. So I did that. Uh, but while I was out there, I called, uh, Dennis Sanders who uh, is a Warbird restoration guy. He started out in Chino, California, and he's been racing at Reno for 35 years now. He just won uh, Reno last year, 2019, uh, and uh, called him up, who was another guy I'd met. So I started volunteering at air shows, then you start to meet the guys who bring the airplanes to the air shows, and you start volunteering for them. So Dennis knew who I was. I spent a lot of time on weekends out at his place uh, working on, he's got a number of airplanes uh, in addition to the customer airplanes. That he, that he works on, but, uh, called him up out of the blue and just said, Hey, I'm out here with callings. I'm kind of burning out on it. And I'd like to come spend some time in the shop. 
uh, if that's okay with you, if you got, if I wouldn't be in your way, he says, man, I'll hire you. Hired me over the phone. Um, we didn't talk about pay. We didn't talk about benefits. All we talked about was start date. And, um, so I came back to Sacramento, uh, got my Jeep fixed up and, and started driving. That was about a 45 minute commute for me. And I've been there ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's really cool. Uh, I've done a lot of really cool things being around the Warbird world and met a lot of great people. It's, the Warbird guys, I think, kind of get a bad rap um, in, in general. It's kind of a click, you know, people think. It's kind of this exclusive group, but um, they welcomed me into it for some reason. And I'm, not, I'm no particularly talented guy when it comes to maintaining airplanes, but, uh, but I, I was a volunteer. I showed up without, without an agenda. I just wanted to learn. I think that's part of the thing, though. They want to see people. They want to sur- surround themselves with other people that love aviation or are willing to volunteer because so many people probably want to want to get paid, especially when they're up and coming. They don't see the the benefit of volunteering your time and doing this for free and the, to understand that the relationships you're going to mold and create are going to be able to pay off in your future. So I think that was really smart of you. Yeah. And truthfully, I had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I could have spent my Saturdays, you know, sitting around watching video, watching TV and playing video games, or I could have gone out to the airport and, and gotten my hands dirty and doing, you know, cleaning spark plugs and, and grease and wheel bearings and stuff like that. And I just, I just had a lot more fun doing that and being with, I mean, these guys who fly some of these old airplanes are some of the best pilots you'll find. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. Learning from those guys. Uh, and, and not only that, but they paid me enough that I was able to start getting ratings. Um, so I, I kind of, I never really committed to my instrument rating, but eventually I, I locked that down. Um, I got a, uh, at a certain point, I kind of, I wanted to branch out a little more and do a little more flying. Uh, so I, that's when I reached out to Kenmore Air. Um, uh, a friend of a friend kind of gave me an email address. He'd flown there years ago. And uh, he gave me uh, an email address for somebody to, to email and say, and just inquire about, any open positions, which I did in 2014 and, uh, let's see, 14, 15, sorry. Uh, 2015, uh, I started out there as a, as again, I, I took a substantial pay cut, um, just to go learn. And I, I wanted to go, uh, get a foot in the door. And, uh, I, you know, I like old airplanes and beavers and otters, if you don't know, are old airplanes. They're so cool though. They are cool. Uh, they got a lot, a lot of character to them. And, um, uh, I knew that, you know, I took the pay cut for one summer. Um, and I worked on the docks. I kind of managed, they usually got a bunch of high school and college kids that, uh, essentially line service, but you're on, you're on docks. Um, and they hired me into a management position for, for, you know, I had eight or 10 kids or something that I made sure didn't fall in the water. <laughs> it's a huge role. <laughs> it's probably yeah. harder than one would think, right? Well, you're kind of a glorified lifeguard, <laughs> but no, no, it, it was a good gig. Um, and I've been with Kenmore seasonally, uh, for the last five years. So I spent one summer there on the docks. I, um, the following winter, I got my CFI, uh, went back and they needed an instructor and they, they really like to hire from within. Um, especially when it comes to the pilot roles and stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> so they hired me to, to fly. They got a pair of super cubs on floats at the time. They've now got a 172 also. So I, I did something like I did 22 seaplane ratings in five months. Wow. For, for guys, I did 
that's yeah. I did twenty five hundred landings in five months. Oh my goodness, <laughs> dude! You were getting after it. <laughs> well, you. I mean, and that's actually probably a conservative estimate because you can easily do twenty landings in an hour. And if all of your students are are doing seaplane ratings and nothing else, I mean, that's what you do. You just go do landings. That's crazy. Um, how well, step back a little bit. How was the rest of your training? Cause obviously your private took forever, had every single obstacle you'd ever imagined. What did that continue throughout your, your other training or was your other training pretty um, smooth? Other than being expensive, it wasn't bad. Um, my instrument rating, I, I had, I did not enjoy it to this day. I don't particularly enjoy instrument flying. Um, what's it, it about that you don't enjoy it? Truthfully, it's because all the instrument flying I've done has been single engine, single engine piston. Which, you know, if you're shooting an approach down to minimums in a single engine piston, you probably ought to rethink your, <laughs> your risk profile, uh, in my opinion. I mean, if you have a nice brand new Cirrus and maybe, I don't know, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Well, in a Cirrus, you know, you, you've got a FATA, you probably got like a coupled autopilot that makes it pretty easy too. Um, yeah, my instrument, I just wasn't interested. Uh, no, I, I like, I like doing lots of maneuvers. I've, I've kind of learning my way into aerobatics and formation. And that was the stuff I really wanted to do more of. And instrument flying is the complete opposite of that. Um, so it was just not super exciting to me, but eventually I got a, I had a buddy who was working on his and he had a 172 and we worked out a deal, um, where I'd help take care of the 172 and pay for my half of the fuel. And we got our instrument ratings together, uh, in that airplane. And, and until it became really easy for me to do, um, like, it, like it was on a plate right in front of me. Uh, did I really take the opportunity to do it? Um, otherwise when I was, it was costing me a couple hundred dollars, I'm going to spend $200 to go flying. I want to go do steep turns. I want to go somewhere for lunch. I want to go do stalls. I want to, you know, I don't really want to put the foggles on and not even have a view. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I mean it makes sense because you're a private pilot. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy it, especially yeah. when you had the, all the stuff that popped up and people are trying to take your logbook from you, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> darn right. I'm going to go enjoy this right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. What was, exactly what was right. your original, or, all right, here's a question. What was, so when you first started flying, was your original goal ever to go to the airlines or did you know you just wanted to fly for fun? My, uh, what I used to tell people is everybody would ask that. My, I used to tell people, I said, I just want to fly fun airplanes. I want to fly cool airplanes. And if, if I reached a point where I thought a 737 was the next cool airplane I wanted to fly or a Dash 8 or, or an RJ, then that's what I would go pursue. Um, I haven't reached that point yet. Uh, and I don't think I will. Um, but I, I'm just going to take it as it comes. Uh, when I was in college, I was looking at, uh, the B 17 and the B 24 and the P 51. I was involved with callings and those are the airplanes I wanted to fly. Um, <clears throat> when I got involved with, uh, the Sanders group and you know, Dennis had, uh, at that time he had a Luscom. He has, uh, an N3N, which is an old biplane, kind of like a Stearman. He had a T6. Those are the airplanes I wanted to fly. And um, you know, I, then I, when I came to Seattle and I was in college and I was watching these float planes fly around all the time, listening to the 985, the Beaver, uh, radial engine flying over all the time. Those are the airplanes I wanted to fly. And I haven't really chased a job as much as I've chased airplanes, um, which is, which is kind of weird. It's kind of not a great way to go about it truthfully <laughs> um but you know it, it served me really well 
I mean, it just goes to show that there's so many ways to make your path in this industry and you don't have to be an airline pilot. That's one of the things I love about this podcast is we highlight things other than airlines, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being an airline pilot and you can make a lot of money doing it. You can have a lot of fun doing it. You can fly some really cool planes. You can also be an airline pilot and still volunteer for a college foundation. So like you can, you can do all this and it's great. And you can also make a career out of it, which is something that you're probably doing right now and you want to fly cool airplanes, which... I can guarantee you that a lot of people flying the airlines or corporate think what you're doing is probably more fun than what they're doing because you are truly having fun when you fly. You're not necessarily being told that you have to go fly through these thunderstorms to get these people to where they want to go. You know, so like you're, you're, you're making and creating your own path in aviation and everyone tailors aviation to what they want to do. They just all do it a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great way, a great way to look at it. Um, it's, it's worked for me. I've been able to be somewhat successful at it. You know, I don't make a lot of money, but, um, but I have a lot of fun and, and the money I don't earn is I kind of think of it as like, it's money I'm, I'm spending to have all this fun. And it, it, and at the end of the day, it's a hell of a bargain. Um, I haven't done the math this yet, but in 2018 or 20, yeah, 2018, I burned 10,000 gallons of Avgas. <laughs> like jet fuel is one thing, but Avgas, you know, not many people are burning that much Avgas. Um, and the, the other cool thing, one of my motivating factors was I didn't want to build time in the right seat of something. Um, you know, I could have sat in the right seat of a caravan. I could have sat in the right seat of, you know, a King Air, you know, just sitting there yanking gear or, or a, a 310 or, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> that. That didn't appeal to me. I kind of, I'm not a control freak. I don't want to be. A side you still want to be at the controls, here. yeah. Yeah, which was great about Kenmore is is all the all the airplanes are single pilot. Um, so you you know you I had about three hundred hours on floats when they cut me loose in a beaver. And I'm like, yeah, here's six people, pick them up and take them to Friday Harbor. And like, You're like, what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. Where's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know you get checked out in the beaver, or whatever. And beaver is a great airplane. It's it's really honest. It's really easy to fly. Really stable. Um, it's got some quirks to it. The ailerons aren't that great, but, um, it, it's a really a fun airplane to fly that it doesn't excite you with the performance numbers, but it's not fast. Um, but it, it's a great airplane. Um, and, and I, I came to it fairly quickly and picked it up pretty quick. And, um, I remember, so you do, you get your 135 right in the Beaver, right? And then you got to do for us, it's a fairly extensive ioe period uh it i think the fa the uh, gom requires 15 hours of ioe but most of the guys are running north of 20 just because there's so many destinations there's so many different places um that are conditions and all these destinations with different wind and you know when you go land on a runway every time you're going to get relatively similar conditions every time landing in the water you got boats you've got swell you've got uh terrain in the immediate vicinity of the runway i mean imagine if you had you know trees right up to the edge of the runway or even a mountain right up to the edge of the runway you know there's lots of wind and ups updrafts and downdrafts associated with that kind of terrain uh, that we operate near and so there's a lot of little things to pick up along the way it's more than just landing on the water it's knowing where you can land where you can't where are the noise sensitive neighbors and stuff like that so there's a lot of ioe but once you finish IOE, so now you got the senior pilot in the right seat for like 20 hours and he says, okay, yeah, you're good to go, man. You're, you know, have fun. And you go and you pick up six people and the thing's heavy and you're put the power up on, on takeoff 
Nothing and you look happens. over and I'm like, <laughs> who the hell is this guy in the right seat? What's he going to do? Like, That's hilarious. Is he going to grab the mixture and pull it? Is he going to, you know, start messing with stuff? That's never happened to me. But, you know, it's just one of the goofy things you just don't know. It's one of these unknowns. And there's so many of those little things flying single pilot that you just don't know about. Yeah, it's true. I have about 2,000 hours flying single pilot. So definitely interesting. It's definitely a different world. Oh, it, it is. I, I enjoy it. And it's nice kind of being able to throw on a podcast or something. Um, you know, listen to pilot pilot podcast when I'm cruising up the San Juan Island. And, Good plug. You know, yeah. Yeah, but no, it is. It, it's a fun time. I, I really dig it. What's, um, do you see a career at Kenmore? Do you see that as being a place where you want to stay forever? Or do you think it's just having fun right now and you'll see what's next in a couple of years? Um, you know, I'm having fun now. Uh, so I did two summers in the Beaver and then they, they checked me out in the turbine otters. So I've got some turbine time under my belt. Um, but Kenmore doesn't really fly anything bigger than that. They've got turbine beavers in one eighties and I've got a little time each of those, but I didn't get to go through the, I haven't gone through the checkout process. So I don't fly those on the line. Um, but, uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I, there's other airplanes in my gun sights. Um, I, I started flying a, a, a T6 you know, oh, the cool. um, version, uh, like two little over two years ago. And, um, I've been having a ton of fun with that doing some aerobatic stuff, going to formation clinics. Um, you know, I fly a biplane I do some fun with that. And then this last summer I got checked out in a TBM, um, not the corporate TBM. There's a TBM before that from world war two. Oh um, yeah. I've seen that before. Yep. Yep. It was built by Grumman. It was a torpedo bomber. Uh, George H.W. Bush, Bush senior flew one in world war two. Um, I got checked out in that and it's huge. It's like 18,000 pounds. It's single oh, pilot. Wow. It's a single pilot, 18,000 pound airplane, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's not, you don't see those very often. No, no. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got some, um, uh, some flights planned in it and, uh, got typed in it back in September. And, uh, you know, I don't know what other airplanes are going to get thrown my way, but I'm kind of just, uh, things are going really well right now. So I, I kind of don't want to disturb the, uh, disturb the momentum. Based on where you are now and how you've gotten to where you are today, do you think you, if you could, if you had the opportunity to go back and change anything, would you do anything differently? Um, I probably would have gotten my, been a little more motivated to get my commercial and CFI earlier. Um, not so much because I wanted to work as a CFI, but just because I had some friends that I could have helped out if I were a CFI at that time, you know, I, 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 I got some free duel when I was working on my answering rating from a friend of mine who's a double I. Um, and that was, that was a, a really big help when, when you got somebody who's willing to fly for you and not charge you, that was a big deal. And I've since been able to do some of that, but it might, you know, the nice thing is I still have a CFI. I still enjoy instructing. I, well, I enjoy teaching people to fly. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not going to teach somebody how to pass a private pilot checkride or a commercial pilot checkride, but I'm going to teach you how to fly. I'll, so I like doing like BFRs and tailwheel endorsements and seaplane ratings, and I stay busy doing that kind of stuff. So when I come out to, to Seattle or wherever you are, you can give me my tailwheel and my seaplane. Man, I don't have a tail dragger out here. My, you know, the 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 tail dragger stuff I fly is down in California. So I well, by the I, time we get out, by the time we figure it out, you'll get one. Don't worry. I have okay, faith in yeah, you. yeah, <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Yeah, we'll, that'd we'll be cool. 
That's Not awesome. That That's the secret. No. <laughs> what's uh, I guess another question is you kind of said you had some planes in your sights. What's kind of your dream list of airplanes to fly? Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm maybe on the verge to start flying some of the fighters. Uh, I, I have gotten an hour of duel in a P 51. Um, and that was so far, you know, I've got a little over 2000 hours and like my shining moment, the one that I tell everybody about is like my one hour of duel in a Mustang that I got this summer. Um, yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'd like to do, I'm hoping for more Mustang flights. Um, who knows? I've, I've got some T six time. I've got some, now I've got another Warbird type rating under my belt and I'm kind of getting some street cred that comes along with it. And I don't know if anybody's really wants to throw me the keys to their Mustang and say, yeah, man, give it a shot. See how it goes. But, uh, good luck. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the, you know, there's some dual control ones out there and, and I, I truthfully, I, I think about that every day and I try to keep that in the gun side, stay focused on it. And, and I, I, and I think it'll, it'll happen maybe sometime soon. I hope it's exciting, man. I hope it does too. I mean, I, it's really, it's really cool to talk to you and hear about how you, you just have this passion for warbirds or just kind of cool airplanes. And I feel like every pilot has that same passion for cool airplanes, but we kind of go to the side where we'd rather go to the airlines or corporate and focus on making money. But we don't realize is like how much fun we have actually flying those cool airplanes. So you're doing such a, a cool part of aviation. You're living like the, the most fun part of aviation every single day. And I think that's really cool. I like that. Well, I, yeah, it, 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 thanks. No, I, it, it's nice to, to hear that every once in a while. Cause you know, I see lots of my friends are moving on to airlines and they're, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on, I'll be 30 this year, which is, it sucks. I turned 30, <laughs> a day, what day, what's today? Did I turn 32 days ago now? I turned 32 days ago. Oh, so dude. How, did, get how it. did it go? I, uh, it's rough, man. It's uh, rough. But I, I came out with my first YouTube that. video. It was my goal to come out with a YouTube video on my 30th birthday, and I did it. So I'm a YouTuber now. Big <laughs> things. I'm going to kill the 30s. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yep. It's oh, over, man. it's well, past, I and now I'm here. as optimistic as you are. I've got like four months to go. It's all so. right. Come talk to me. I'll help you out. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I you know, I, I'm just in a position where I was making enough money to live comfortably, uh, you know, not making enough money to buy a house, not making enough money to, to you know, drive a fancy car or anything, but I'm not starving. Uh, I live comfortably. I've got a, a decent apartment in Seattle. Um, and, uh, my girlfriend helps out with that a lot, uh, most of it, especially this time of year when I'm not here. But uh, you know, I was just in a position where I was able to pursue those things, and 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 it, it's not because I'm more driven than anybody else. I think it's just because I was in a position where I had the opportunity, and it just I just lucked into the right situation. And um, if you don't spend time at the airport, you won't luck into those situations. Nobody, I wasn't sitting at home one day and somebody called me and said, Hey man, you want to come get checked out in a beaver? You want to come get checked out in the T six? Those things happened because I was at the airport. I was putting in time when I wasn't getting paid for it. I was meeting people. I was having fun. And, and yes, I, I've, my motivation from the outset was to fly cool stuff and get cool flying experience. But my motivation now is more to, to one, uh, take care of the people who, who helped set me up with those opportunities. And two, um, these people have kind of become my family. I mean, I'm at the airport six, seven days a week. Um, I, that's where I spend my time on weekends. You can ask my girlfriend, she drives you nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's where I want to be. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I get to do that seven days a week. 
um, and, and that it feeds me, you know, it, it sustains me, it gets me through the day. Not everybody feels that way about most of the things they do. No, I'd say you are very rare in that. And not everyone shares that same passion of what they do for a living. Uh, well, like I said, that, that comes down to luck and I, I don't know what I did to deserve it, but, uh, but you're maybe, here. It's, it, all maybe that matters. it's also, it also might be a curse. Um, cause <laughs> depending on who you ask. Yeah. I miss out on some, some life events and stuff like that. Um, because of my obsession out at the airport, but it's, it's hard to, it's, I guess it's just hard to keep it balanced. Um, but yeah, it depends who you ask and I'm having fun in the short term. It's working out. So, and then one good thing is if you ever realize like, Hey, I want to make a little money. It's like, all right, well, I still have this valuable time. I still have these great stories. I can still go to an airline. You're about to turn 30. If you want to go to airline today or a regional airline, you could still have a 35 year career at an airline. So like, you're still, you're still doing pretty good. So yeah. And that's, that's one thing I've, I've realized as of late is, is there's not many people that are applying to flying jobs who have, uh, you know, a a P-51 experience or, or anything like that. And, and unless you own a Mustang, uh, typically guys who don't know how to fly are not getting the opportunity to fly Mustangs. (laughs) Not, not these days. So, you know, it's some real street cred. And I think when people see it in your logbook, it's kind of like, Oh, this guy might know what he's doing. Um, in my case, it's not true. I don't know what I'm doing, but, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm figuring it out as you go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's fun. Well, Hey man, I got a quick section for you. I got a quick rapid fire section and then we can kind of wrap it up. Um, but before we go, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you just sharing your story. I mean, just from what you had to go through and some of the stories you're talking about, about getting your private pilot license, it's just crazy. And this is what you want to do and you're going after it and you're living your dream. You're flying airplanes that you love to fly. So that's really cool. But um, rapid fire section, just answer the first and quickest thing that comes to your mind. Okay, hit me with it. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Mustang. What's your least favorite airplane you've ever flown? Oh, man. Uh, Sea Ray. Okay. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? You know what a Sherpa is? I don't, but it sounds ugly. So we can count it. I think it's called a Sherpa. It's it's like the it's the army airplane that the that a lot of the paratroopers jump out of, like oh, the like yes. the Golden Knights, you know, the jump the jump teams and stuff. Yeah, okay, that thing's hideous. You might get some hate for that one, but uh, you know, I'll direct hey, them your way, I've not my way. One, I, I, <laughs> this is me judging a book by its cover. It might be a great great airplane. I don't know anything about it. What's the best looking airplane you've ever seen, other than a Mustang? Since I think you would probably say Mustang. Uh, boy, best looking airplane, uh, the Super Corsair. The, uh, there was a, there was a red and white super Corsair, um, that was restored by a guy named Bob Odegaard and it had a, a, a Pratt and Whitney 4360 on it, which is the biggest piston engine ever put on an airplane. Nice. Um, the Navy built 10 of them, uh, after world war two, uh, this guy named cook Cleland bought three of the ones, three of them and took them and raced them at the Cleveland air races uh, oh, cool. in the late forties. And one of those airplanes still exists and it's, it's got an awesome red and white paint scheme, sunburst paint scheme. And it's a Corsair with an extra thousand horsepower. So that's pretty cool. It, it, that's the coolest airplane I've ever seen. If you, so obviously you said that you love aviation or you love airplanes, you're in it for flying the type of airplanes. Is there an airliner that kind of sticks out to you as something you'd really want to fly? Like a 787, uh, the old Concorde, like it can be old or it can be new. That was an airliner. Um, if you're thinking more modern, I would say the 747. If there were anything that were going to get me 
to go to an airline right now of any airplanes that still fly and the 747 is barely hanging in there. Um, but if, if, you know, British Airways, oh shoot, I don't even know if they still have them, but Lufthansa, if, if Lufthansa called me tomorrow and said, Hey man, you want to come fly 747, 400? I'd be like, okay, let's go. <laughs> well, you got to learn German first, but other than that, you're on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but as far as other airliners, I'm not really into the, the technology thing. Like I probably should be. Um, if there's one, one place I I'm a little less interested in, it would be that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm into the old analog stuff and and 747 being all analog, I think is pretty cool for as big an airplane as it is. Who is uh, one person either living or dead that has influenced aviation that you would like to meet? So it could be like Bob Hoover. It could be Charles Lindbergh, Amelia Earhart, like anyone from any time period that has just made a huge difference in aviation that you would wish you could meet. Oh man, I, I actually got to meet Hoover once. Um, and that was, that was pretty damn cool. Uh, I'd be lying if I said it didn't have an impact on me. Uh, I, I'll stick with Hoover. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, wish, I wish I'd been able to say, to talk with him for more than five minutes. Um, but that was all I got. <laughs> Still, it's five minutes more than most people. Hey, the handshake was worth the wait, man. Yep, absolutely. That's really cool. Um, let's see, uh, Piper or Cessna for like a training aircraft. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I gave, I gave up on the 172. Uh, I wasn't a huge 172 fan. Uh, so I, I, sw- I got my private in the warrior and I, I think it's a better flying airplane. Truthfully. What about you? Did you, did you fly the warrior or did you fly a, a no, I did a 172. So my two options were a 152 or 172 and a 172 felt like an SUV compared to an, a 152. So I, uh, I did the 152, but then I did my commercial training in a Piper Aero, and I yep, love that so plane. I. It was yeah, like... Aero was all right. Yeah. It was slow, but like I really enjoyed it. It was my first complex airplane, so obviously there were some really cool things to it when I was flying it, but it was just... It felt like my first real airplane, and every plane since then has felt like my first real airplane, so... so uh, it was my first complex airplane, too. Like When you did your first... Do you remember like your first takeoff in the Aero? Did you just like rotate, keep it in ground effect and suck the gear up. Like everybody knows what they're doing, doing. Cause that's what I did. And my instructor <laughs> was pissed. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> that's really funny. I didn't do that. I should have. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's yeah, a little no. cowboy in me. I probably should have been funny. Too, but <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all good, man. Uh, let's see. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, the country or cities? Uh, I would combine the beaches and mountains because some of the places we fly to in Kenmore air, especially up in BC, uh, the mountains come right to the, right to the beach. Uh, I mean, you can be, I mean, there'll be a 4,000 foot tall mountain that the peak is a half a mile from the shoreline. So, I mean, it's like a cliff face. Um, it's, it's awesome. And flying below the terrain, we're legal to cruise at 500 feet. Um, and you can, you can see everything at 500 feet. You can count the, count the leaves on the trees as they go by. And, uh, it's, it, it's really cool. It's, it's actually pretty breathtaking. Are you guys always on IFR flight planes? No, or we, are, VFR? we are day VFR. Oh, wow. Um, All right. Yeah. hundred percent VFR. Now our, we have reduced minimums. Um, we don't go through weather. We go under it, you know? Um, so we're, we're legal to cruise at 500, uh, as long as we're over water, uh, landable water. Um, and it was actually, we were, they were legal to cruise 200 up until I think 2011 or so. So they were, they were cruising pretty low to the water for a long time. Wow. Um, <laughs> What's yeah. that? Let's just Kenmore air 200 feet above the water. Is that legal? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, but, well, 
as long as you got, I think it's 502 miles is the, the visibility uh, requirements now. And I think in those days it was 200, it might've been one mile, but if you're at 200 feet, you'll hit a cruise ship. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and we, and there's, they're coming and going from Seattle all the time. Yeah, they are. So, <laughs> but no, I think the 500 rule is, is a good, is a good place. It's a, and it's a happy place to be. It's not, it doesn't, the thing it still takes you two minutes to climb that altitude some days on a hot day when you're at gross, you know, so it's very it true. feels like higher than it is. Um, but, uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. It gets, it's a really good place to get a perspective of, of the landscape from. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh, I go to the Chino air show every year in the last few years. I've been fortunate enough to fly a Warbird into the Chino air show. Um, and that is always pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I flew the T6 in there last year and uh you call up a a tower i we don't really talk to you usually flight following especially in southern california or anything they're they're not as uh conducive to what i want to do sometimes so i kind of try to avoid the airspace instead of talk to them and when you you call up chino tower on air show weekend you know on the friday before the air show and for the 10 miles you're talking to them on the way into the airport they're like uh you know North American 800 Charlie, uh, come left 10 degrees, fly to four Mustangs off your right and four Mustangs go, you know, it, that's pretty cool. And, and every time you get to go into Chino, uh, on an air show weekend, I mean, there's airplanes everywhere. They've got controllers that really know what they're doing. Um, and, and I don't know how many times I've gotten to see goofy airplanes, you know, P-38s, P-47s, P-51s, ME-109s, Falkwolf 190s, B-17s. I mean, all that stuff is, they're all flying the same weekend. So some of that stuff's going to be in the pattern when you get there. And, and then to try and uh, mesh in, cause you know, the Mustang's going 150 miles an hour in the, uh, on, you know, on downwind basically. And I'm going 115, 120, you know, so these, I'm trying to sequence in between these guys and they're coming in in a flight of four. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of hectic and crazy and, uh, but it, but you get on the ground, you're like, man, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have to say that's probably my favorite, uh, the favorite, my favorite one that I do. What's your least favorite airport? Um, my least favorite airport, uh, Kenmore air. We go to a place, I guess it's not an airport, but, um, we go to a place, uh, called Gorge Harbor and it is in, it, it's, it's probably maybe two miles wide and it's like a, it's like a donut shaped inlet it's salt water it's on an island called uh, cortez island and it's a uh, it, up in bc and it's a there's a donut shaped inlet uh where there's water in the shape of a donut and a big island in the middle that's maybe two three hundred feet tall and you got to land inside there uh, which is not that big a deal but man trying to get out of there on a hot day uh, you end up doing a 360 inside trying to keep it over the terrain over the water trying to climb up out of this thing um in the otter, it's not as much of a deal, especially, you know, the turbine otter now has got all this extra horsepower and stuff. So it's fine, but trying to get out of there on a hot day in a beaver, it, it's, it sucks. Uh, it's really pretty and really scenic. And all the people are like looking out the picture, out the windows, they taking pictures it. and I'm You're like, sweating bullets. Sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please take like, off. Yeah. Please climb. Please climb. Please yeah. climb. If only you people knew. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, really funny. It, it's not that bad. I, I guess it's probably the, the, the safe thing to say in a situation like this when you don't know. Yeah, I know but, what you mean. Yeah, but, everyone knows no, what you actually mean. Yeah, it's it, it can feel like it sometimes. That's fun. 
Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Those are pretty much all the questions I have for you. Um, like I said earlier, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. I can't wait to have this episode out and kind of tell your story a little more. Yeah, man. I, I don't know how many people will, will feel motivated or anything by my story, but I, you know, I, I try and try and if it brings people half as much joy and happiness as it's brought me, then I think aviation will, uh, will succeed. And we'll continue to grow. And I hope it does. And I think what you're doing is awesome. And uh, I, I wish I'd found something like this when I was learning to fly. I might have had a little more gas in the tanks to <laughs> do what I was trying to do. I appreciate it, man. That means a lot. I really do. I think yeah, that a lot of people of like your story. And I think it's going to help out. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well thanks for having me on. It's, it's been fun. No problem, man. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Thanks. And that is a wrap of episode 92 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed Steven's story as much as I did and hearing more about what Kenmore Air is like and how flying for fun can just be such a great way to go about aviation, especially when training gets tough, especially when your job gets tough. Just remember why you love aviation and that this is supposed to be fun. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. As I said earlier, leave us a review. Check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Email me if you want someone to be on the podcast or you think you should be on the podcast, Pilot the Pilot hq at gmail.com aviation that's all i have for you today i hope i can get a video out here soon i'm trying to do that i'm trying to just make it happen but we'll see so stay tuned for that and as always happy flying